Hey, what's up? This is Chris Fristali of Realm of the Mist Entertainment. The podcast you are listening to is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com. That's s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and information on those shows, as well as information and an ability to contact publicist Steve Joyner for more information. Just go to the website and check out the family, ladies and gentlemen. Until then, enjoy the show. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. I'm really excited to welcome my guest Ming Chen today. I'm a huge fan of pretty much everything Kevin Smith does, so talking to somebody from his world really, really is cool. And in case you're wondering, yes, I do realize it was a bit of a miss to not be able to have this be episode number 37, but I was too excited and couldn't wait a couple more weeks to make that magic number happen. Let's get started. On mic today, we have Ming Chen. How are you doing, good sir? I'm doing great. How are you, Aaron? I am doing fantastic. It's the first chance we've had to actually talk face-to-face after talking online for quite a while. And I'm like, I'm looking at the dude who made me a liar. <laughs> I really am. Because I spent... What, what do you mean by that? I'm saying I spent years saying I don't like watching reality TV shows. And then this show called Comic Book Men comes out. And I'm like, okay, I dig this. I like this. <laughs> Which is so weird. Uh, I remember the the first time I the the first message Kevin Kevin Smith sent me, mm-hmm. indicating that a show was even in the realm of possibility. I was uh I was at a screening for Red State, his movie Red State. Um, mm-hmm. He was showing it to I don't know. I was up in New York City and I had the only DVD copy of it. And what he charged me to do was, he wanted me to take it up to some this building in New York. And I had to watch it with a bunch of executives or something. And I had to make sure that they didn't steal the DVD and bootleg it. That was my job was to make sure that it didn't get scrolled off to some, you know, I guess, Asian replication plant. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at the time, the only copy they had on DVD. So I literally had to sit with them and watch it. And uh, while I was with them, I get a text from Kevin. He was like, hey, we got something going on here. This is going to sound really weird, but uh, they want to shoot a reality show at Jay and Sound Bob's Secret Stash, his comic book shop. And I'm like, oh, that, that that could be cool. It's got a cool backdrop. It's got a lot of history. Uh, obviously, they're going to put you in it. And he's like, no, 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 no. Well, they're going to do all that. But they want you and Walt and Brian and Mike to be in it, too. And I'm like, why would they want that? We're a bunch of knuckleheads. We don't act. We don't we don't belong on TV. We're ugly. Mm-hmm. We're old. We, uh, we have nothing interesting that anybody would want to hear or say. He's like, I, I was like, this isn't a joke. I'm like, are you sure? Because you've been smoking a lot of weed, and <laughs> and you know you might be on some kind of wacky strain that we don't get out here in New Jersey. He's like, no, 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 stay tuned. I'll I'll, I'll hit you up with more details. And then, uh, yeah, after that, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, a crew rolls in to shoot uh, like a pilot episode, and then all of a sudden, he's like, you know, kind of like, congratulations, you're gonna be a, a reality TV star. And then we shoot one season, which led to two, which led to seven pretty crazy so <laughs> uh so for anybody asking like how did you get into this i'm like i don't really know it just happened and that kind of is your whole career in a nutshell at least when it comes to kevin is that you started out as a webmaster yeah. making a fan site and then you it spitballed into all sorts of stuff 
I'm, I'm just amazed because like this is, I think, the future. People are going to be like they, they don't have to become great actors or great artists to get involved in creativity. Even if it's not a movie, it can be something. The tools are there for us. Yeah, I, I've always thought everybody was interesting. Everybody's got some kind of weird story. Everybody's got some kind of wacky experience that they can relate to other people. Um, and, uh, you know, you don't have to look like Brad Pitt anymore to be a star. Thankfully. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, thankfully. Um, you don't have to have uh, you don't have to be able to dunk a basketball like Michael Jordan. You know, uh, talent, you know, vast talent is great. And uh, God bless them. Those people get paid a lot of money. But uh, you could also get the guy who plays video games really well. He could be a star. You could get uh, the guy who, um, you know, d- uh, does some kind of wacky stunt online and throws mm-hmm. it up on YouTube. That guy can be a star. Uh, you can lip sync really well. You can. <laughs> it's uh, you know, I, I think I actually, I, actually, I think Kevin said it best. He's like, for most things out there, you don't even really need true talent. You just got to get it out there somehow. Mm-hmm. And prior to all this, uh, you know, there would be you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, there was no podcasting. There was no YouTube. There was no Facebook Live. So, you know, getting that kind of exposure wasn't available back then. Um, and now uh, now it's there. You know, you can literally press a button and get yourself online. You can press a button and get yourself on YouTube. So, uh, so I say do it. Even if you don't think anybody will be interested in it, you may, you may find that audience for sure. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about podcasting specifically, but also about a lot of the things you mentioned, is that you self-select your audience. If you decide you want to tell stories about my dog, <laughs> maybe only a tenth of a percent of the people in the world are going to care about it, but they will find you because they you're making the content they want. Yeah, for sure. And I I love uh, I love that kind of focus. So um, we were in a podcast studio, and one of uh, the first question we always get is like, well, how do I make money doing this? And that's a whole nother ball of wax. But mm-hmm. second one is like, hey, you know, is my topic too obscure? You know, will what if I only get like 10 people listening or or what if I don't reach an, a wide audience or is this too niche? I'm like, no, no, no. Those are the people that you want because those are the people that are really into what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're going to be able to focus on them and they're going to be so into what you're saying because they're into it too that – uh, that, you know, you're, um, they'll, they'll be more apt to listen than, you know, the casual person who's like, Oh, what's this? I've never heard of, uh, you know, underwater basket weaving, or you may get them in that casual person. You don't, you never know. Uh, but you'll, and you'll never know unless you put it out there. So, um, that's just the toughest part is actually getting, get starting, of course, getting your recorded and then being consistent about it. And, uh, I uh, yeah, I love that. I was like, listen, numbers are great. Of course, you want a million people to listen to your podcast, you know, as soon as you launch it. <laughs> but if you get those, you know, ten or twenty or twelve or whatever people who um, who really really agree with you and are really 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 also into what you're saying, I, I say that's even better. Agreed. And uh, just a great example would be how you kind of became the breakout star of comic book men and just just because you were kind of the one that nobody really pegged for being the the personality i would say i mean walt and brian they're the jokesters they they have the 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 abrasiveness almost like ming he's kind of in the background and then like everybody glommed onto you and i would say the donkey kong story (laughs) pulled on a lot of people's heartstrings yeah, there was a story. I uh, I ended up buying a tabletop Donkey Kong uh, machine, uh, the cocktail table, which uh, you know I, I love the stand up machines, but 
the cocktail tables always reminded me of uh, like the bowling alleys and bars. They had them in a lot of bars because you could set your your cocktail or your drink on top of them. But uh, yeah, when I was a kid, I really uh, I was entranced by arcades. Like, how could you not be uh, with all the the music, the flashing lights, the gameplay, and you know the the characters? Like everything about arcades uh, entranced me, except that I didn't have any money to play uh, stand up arcade games. I didn't have two. I didn't have two nick two quarters to rub together, much less one, which would have let me played um, a game. But uh, and my parents were like, "Nope, these are a waste of money. These will rot your brain. These are uh, these are evil. You are not <laughs> you're not going to play any of these games." But one day, my dad relented. He gave me a quarter to play Donkey Kong. And uh, if you've ever played the game, or if you've played it lately. It's a hard game. Mm-hmm. It's hard. And so, you know, I think I was six or seven, put that quarter in, uh, you know, lost immediately. And my dad used it as a character building lesson to be learned than go and see what'd you get back for that quarter? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> uh, these are a waste of money. I hope you learned your lesson. And uh, I guess he thought maybe I would never play a video game again after that. But, uh, you know, the exact opposite happened. I became uh, even more fascinated with them. I wanted it more. You always want what you can't have, and uh, mm-hmm. and video games were one of those, which I think is why I love them so much now. So, what do you game on? Which um, so I I you know I I started with the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Um, my mm-hmm. life was ruled by a black plastic joystick with one orange button, which which I think is still all you need. You know, now with the uh, force feedback, like 16-button Xbox and PlayStation 4 controllers with the touch screens and everything. I think uh, too complicated, man. But I went from that. I uh, got really obsessed with the 8-bit Nintendo uh, NES system for a long time. Uh, I had a Super Nintendo, the, uh, the N64. Uh, went through several PlayStations. Um, the problem now that I'm older is uh, I, I've got all the systems, but I don't really have them. My My 12-year-old son has them in his bedroom. And I can't get him, I can't get him away from him, so I want to play this Final Fantasy VII remake. I want to play Destiny two. I want to play Overwatch, but he's got the systems now, so I don't know. What do I do? Like, do I buy another one? I, they're so expensive. I, yeah, I, it's I'm conflicted. And then, I, yeah, and uh, yeah, real quick, do I go and like do I go and challenge him? Because I know I'm gonna lose to a twelve year old. So it's tough, man. Yeah, it's I, I think. Probably my game. Like I said this in the last podcast too. The Switch is the is the wonderful thing. Just the fact that it's got so many systems on there, including some that weren't even made by Nintendo, and you can pick it up and you know just yank it out of the kid's bedroom and take it for a quick jog around. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, I grabbed one a couple of years ago. Um, I mistakenly gave it to my son for his birthday, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm able to grab it when he's not playing it. Uh, but I love the I actually love the evolution story of the switch. It kind of started with the the, the game and watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you remember those, those are the kind of flip flip over two screen, uh, you know, black LCD games. I think they had like Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr. And that that kind of evolved and kind of got mashed up with the switch with the, uh, you know, the motion feedback and the Nintendo DS. And uh, yeah, it, you can see it's like the evolution of man almost. From like uh, you know the thing crawling out of the ocean up until what you get now, such a cool evolution. And um, 
I'm I'm wondering where it goes next, but uh, yeah, I, they they figured Nintendo figured it out, man. It's like mm-hmm. you play it on your TV, great. Throw it in a dock, you know, it's great. You throw it up in your 80 inch TV, but uh, the yeah, the the killer part about it is you can take it wherever you want, and uh, and and play multiplayer, and um, download games, and uh, it's it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty crazy what they've done. It's funny you should bring that up. I was talking with another guest a couple months ago about the original Nintendo Game Boy and how at the time it was this weird thing that seemed to be taking over people's lives. And we're like, everybody's got their headphones on. They're looking at this screen. They're not paying attention to the world around them. And now we've all got our smartphones and it's suddenly normal. Yeah, for it's sure. Like, for sure. Talk- was, uh, yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, I had that Game Boy. I ended up selling it on eBay a number of years ago. I kind of wish I had it back, but um, yeah, just the uh, I was like, wait a minute, I, I can take this wherever I want. I can play, I can play Tetris in the mm-hmm. bathroom. This mm-hmm. is awesome. And and uh, road trips, road trips were the big thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, we didn't because we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have portable DVD players. Like this was a huge revolution in our lives. And uh, for so to have that in Super Mario, uh, I think Super Mario Country, or um, and you know the number of uh, uh, of Game Boy games, and uh, again, you know those all those all evolved into what we have now with the Switch. So yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm guilty of having my head buried in my in my phone. Um, I have an iPhone, which weekly it sends you like how many hours a day you spent on mm-hmm. it. It's pretty embarrassing how much time I, I feel judged. Oh, I definitely feel judged. I'm like, I can turn this off, but I'm not going to. I just uh, it doesn't keep me in check. It's not like uh, it's like, oh man, I should really cut back. Mm-hmm. It's more of a point of pride. It's like, ooh, maybe I can beat this next week, you know, because we're all gamers. We're trying to beat our high score. <laughs> and then, you know, part of it is like I justify. It. It's like, oh, like half of this is work. You know, I I, I got to I got to be online. I got to post post on social media. It's part of work. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's literally like almost a third of my day is spent on my phone. Um, if you want to do the math on that, and that's a lot of time. Uh, but on the flip side of that, uh, when we started the podcast studio, um, we try to insist on everybody coming to the studio and podcasting face to face. And uh, there are a couple of philosophies behind that. One was the, you know, everyone's buried in their phones everyone's texting no one really sees each other anymore it's like let's get everybody back together mm-hmm. and uh in and, and e- even if even for an hour a week to record their shows face to face and uh i thought you know we could that'd be one way to bring people together the other the other thing was like you know it's it's hard to make fun of people through a computer screen mm-hmm. it's, i prefer to make fun of mike zapsic in person it's just mm-hmm. it's, a lo- it's a lot easier uh you know busting balls and making fun of your friends in person so i prefer to do that and uh so it's interesting now that we're not allowed to be within six feet of each other and uh so you know that kind of philosophy of the podcast studio we had to put on hold uh but luckily uh you know not everybody could come down to the studio so we did do a lot of remote shows uh while we were open and before the pandemic uh however at least one person would be in the studio and we would dial the other person uh you know on our on our tv through Skype or Facebook or Zoom or, or Streamyard or whatever, um, so we, I, I, you know, I had my doubts as to, you know, well, if I connect both people online, would it work? Would the sound quality be there? Uh, would it be difficult to convey messages? Uh, could you make fun of each other through a computer screen? And we learned pretty quickly. It's uh, you can you can definitely make fun of people through a computer screen, and uh, it's it's almost as good. So, um, but. Um, 
yeah i mean we still try to get people you know when this is all over i'm still gonna insist people try to come down to the studio and be with each other um but uh it, it's also opened up a whole new business model where if you're in california or london or wherever you can't come to the studio we can still help you launch podcasts it's been pretty fun i could definitely see that uh one of the things I really wanted to do with this show, and I did a few of them. I did all my shows live. I did. I wanted to do all my shows live. That ended up not being practical because of geography. So I made the choice to at least do Skype when I had to, and it's opened up a whole world. But I love the in-person aspect of it. It's it's it. There's a whole more energy to it. Oh yeah, it's uh yeah everything from uh you know um whether it be at the studio, we started recording in the back of uh, the comic book shop. Mm -hmm. And so uh, every song we would have guests. So when that guest would walk through the door and uh, you know, yeah, immediately like, Hey, Whoa, thanks for coming down. Um, You know, sometimes you would try to launch into a story or an experience that you, uh, you shared together. If it was somebody that you knew, or if it was somebody that you didn't know coming down to be a guest or that be that kind of nervous energy as you, Mm -hmm. uh, as you met for the first time, and uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. And sitting down with someone like not, nothing's going to replicate that. Um, no. uh, you know, uh, if, if I ever get to that level and I have to interview people, I'm not going to do it through this. I'm going to make make them come down and do it. Um, I yeah, my analogy is, you know, this is fun. But, uh, you know, if I go to a bar, I want to be with other people. Like mm-hmm. I'm not having a drink with you through a computer screen. You know, it's not right. it's, it's just not the same. And uh yeah, that and hopefully we can get back to that point where, where uh, we can be together without fear of illness or death or you know or whatever. Um, so, and I think people appreciate that. I think uh, um, I think our podcasters appreciate that. And I was like, hey, you, you got a guess? Have them have them come down. We're centrally located. You know, if they're not that far up, have them come down. We'll we'll set them up. Uh, you know, we, we have a we have a kegerator if they want a beer and. Uh, Hey, let's make this a whole, you know, like a kind of a, like a hanging out experience as well as a podcast recording. So he, technical question, That's when you're, set, you're setting up a podcast studio, sound control is crucial. Yes. And yet the refrigerator, does that make too much background noise? Is it one of those things that, because I know the need to have a beer, but. Um, so I, I have a couple of philosophies about that. Um, I, uh, so at one point I did, uh, I, we needed a mini fridge for the studio. It went on mm-hmm. Facebook Marketplace. I bought a used one. Didn't really think anything of it until I plugged it in, and that that hum was distracting. It mm-hmm. it bled over. I had it in a whole nother room, but it was so loud that it, it was starting to bleed into the recordings. So at first, I would unplug it when we were recording, and then plug it back in. But then I would forget to unplug it. Whatever, it became a whole mess. I ended up getting rid of it. So that was uh, that was a pain in the butt. Uh, but I think for uh, most of our podcasts are conversational, so it's uh, it's is um, it's as if we were sitting at a bar and having a conversation mm-hmm. and having it recorded. So uh, yeah, you know, some sounds actually enhance the experience, in my opinion. You know, if you're if uh, if you can hear someone pulling a beer uh, a, a beer tap and that that beer hitting the glass, or even the you know as you're opening a beer and mm-hmm. you're talking about beer. That definitely enhances it, but um, our studio is in a. We got some cheap office space in a office building. It's a five-story office building, so occasionally, you know, you will you will hear noises. Uh, you know, people maybe being loud out in the hallway, mm-hmm. things like that. That does um, that does kill me. One week they were doing the construction in the hallways, and you would hear a saw every so often. That 
that started that that was not a fun week um as we tried to either filter that out or pause between noises uh yeah i mean noises <laughs> is a big killer yeah but i we've actually found with a lot of our clients as long as they're not overly distracting it, they've been pretty they've been pretty tolerant um yeah not every podcast has to sound like an npr like sweaty balls episode mm-hmm. and uh so a, li- a little bit is actually somewhat tolerable but um and then uh you know there there are uh you know if you edit with say like a adobe audition there are ways to filter things out like maybe not 100 percent, but there's some pretty good tools uh if you if you put in the work and uh you can filter some things out um but uh, yeah, for any podcasters out there, they're always like, "Hey, man, what what would you spend the most money on gear wise? You know, you spend it on the board, on a computer." I'm like, "Get a great mic, get a you know, get a decent mic. They're mm-hmm. not that expensive." Um, and uh, from there, you're you're pretty good. And just, then just make sure that all your podcasters end up talking into that microphone, mm-hmm. and you're good. Yeah, you would um, you'd be surprised at how many people uh, don't talk right into the microphone. And it, yeah. It kills me, and uh, yeah, and I try to make sure everybody wears headphones as well so they can hear themselves. But, um, but even uh, you'll 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 catch Mike Zapsik sometimes. He doesn't particularly like wearing headphones, and uh, you'll hear him drifting off the mic a lot. And I'm like, dude, wear the <laughs> wear the headphones, dude. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, Walt, guys like Walt Flanagan, he doesn't like wearing headphones either. So Real, like, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. He's got some weird, like sensory sensory issues or something, man. I have no idea. But uh, we uh, will accommodate him sometimes. <laughs> yeah, one of the craziest episodes I did in terms of just control over the environment. I did a, an, a recording at a con with Donna Visitor from DS9. I think it was episode six. Go check that. But um, yeah, everything went great until. Right in the middle of our conversation, somebody, uh, one of the con employees, bungles right between us looking for the bathroom. And like, you really can't tell on the audio version, but on the YouTube version, it's like, hi, how you doing? You just ruined the shop. <laughs> yeah, uh, bathroom's over there by the popcorn. But on, mm-hmm. something like that, uh, you know, if you can see it, it actually works out. Uh, like, um, I I encourage all any, any geek podcasters, uh, if they go to a lot of comic book conventions, like, hey, pack a recorder with you or use your phone and your voice memo app. Go, you know, if you're going to go go meet guests, go interview them. Um, you know, go go ask. A lot of them are afraid to ask some of the some of the stars there if uh, they'd be able to uh, record an interview for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? Probably, you know, I would say maybe six or seven times out of ten, they'll they'll totally do it, especially if they have like an indie project that they're working on or that, or that they're mm-hmm. promoting. They'll definitely talk to you. Now, you know, some of the bigger ones have massive four hour lines, and of course, they won't have five minutes to give you. But I, I think a lot of uh, uh, the people there will be, uh, especially in this day and age where podcast, podcasting is so prevalent and such a promotional tool, they'll give you at least five minutes to talk about uh, whatever, you know, answer a few questions and then take a couple minutes to promote themselves. But I say, you know, go interview them, go interview some of the artists and Artist Alley. Go interview some of the people attending the con. You'll get some great stories for them and cut into your podcast. Um, I go to a lot of cons and before I go, you know, I put it out there. I was like, Hey, are any of you guys podcasters? If you're coming to the con, bring a recorder. Let's, let's, let's record a segment for your podcast. Uh, I would love to. And, you know, if you're looking for some extra content or an interview from me, I'll totally do it. And uh, I encourage them to do that with everybody else. I think, uh, 
yeah, I, I think we live in this day and age where you, you can go to a con and you can see a lot of the people who were on your favorite movie movies and TV shows. And uh, what a great thing. Like if you have a podcast and you can score an interview with them, I think that's pretty cool. So but I think a lot of podcasters are afraid to ask. They're like, oh, man, nah. what if they say no? It's like, well, if they say no, then you didn't lose anything. They say no. I mean, yeah, they say no. They say no. Um, but uh, yeah, especially if you buy an autograph or a selfie or whatever, they'll, yeah, they'll, uh, they'll be way more apt to uh, record some content with you for sure. I can definitely vouch for that because that's one thing that I have definitely done is reach out and try to set up things at cons and, and over the phone and stuff like that. And one of the, the big things about this show in particular is I really don't want to have a recreation of the Q and a, the panel experience. That's there's plenty of places you can go for yeah. that. I'm, I'm about, let's talk about creativity. Let's talk about your motivation. Let's talk about anything other than maybe the reason you're sitting at that table. Yeah, right. It's like, hey, what's your favorite restaurant? Um, you know, where are you getting drunk tonight? Uh, you know, like, mm -hmm. what, what uh, uh, you're you're stuck in this concrete box for eight hours. Uh, what are you gonna do after this? Things like, yeah, things like that. Or, uh, you know, what uh, what do you do when you're not acting? Uh, you know, are you out? Uh, uh, are you out shooting targets? Are you out doing archery? Are you like, what do you, what mm -hmm. do you, what are you really into? You know, I know acting's your job. Like, what are you really into? What are you yeah. doing? not doing all that? I think those stories are way more interesting. And I think uh, people like love to talk about stuff like that. So mm -hmm. it's pretty awesome. And if you give them the chance to have those conversations, to tell those stories instead of, what was your favorite episode right. or what was it like working with William Shatner? Like, yeah, they've answered those questions a million times. So. Yeah. It's like that, that, and, and that's fine that that's a good question, but let's, let's get some engaged in something that maybe they want to talk about yeah. that you don't know they want to talk about. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I love, uh, at, yeah, most cons, they book people who are very outgoing, talkative, like they, they know why they're there. So mm -hmm. uh, they, I, I think, uh, you know, they would they would love to engage you in a conversation, uh, especially if it's recorded. And then if it gets distributed, then uh, then they're like, "Hey, can I can I plug a can I plug this indie movie that I that I wrote and directed that uh, no one's seen yet or it might be coming out?" Um, and uh, it's not it's not unheard of now nowadays that most of the talent or guests over at a Comic Con they have their own podcasts, so they know what it's like to try to get content. They know, you know, the kind of the struggle it is to, you know, line up interviews or score interviews, and uh, just getting interesting content for each episode. So they'll be, uh, they'll they'll be way into uh, being on your show for sure. Um, yeah, I like guys like uh, like Michael Rosenbaum from uh, Smallville. He's got a great podcast. Uh, you know, guys like Kevin Smith. I think almost everybody has at least been on a podcast or started one. Yeah, it's. Now the, the media to have because there's no gatekeepers, you can get it right out to the audience, and that's that's a huge boon. It really is. Yeah, I love that. I, uh, I remember Kevin. Um, he was on the set of a movie when he first heard about podcasting, and um, uh, I remember I think he documented this. He he asked somebody who 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 could explain it to him, and I think Kevin was like, "Wait a minute, I can I can swear on these?" They're like, "Yeah," <laughs> like, and I can go as long as I want. They're like, "Yeah." And this is kind of like, this gets distributed to other people. It's kind of like a, a like a radio show. It's like, oh no, it's better than that. It gets distributed to the world. You know, radio show only hits that one radius that the waves go to. Podcasts can go way beyond that and go around the world. And uh, I think he was hooked immediately. And I've been encouraging people. I mean, if you download it from my RSS feed or on iTunes or something, that's great. I love you for it. 
But if it's like you want to burn it on a CD and give it to your friend or, you know, I don't care how you send this out. That's not in my control and I don't want it to be in my control. Yeah. It's funny you bring that up. We had one podcast client. They're like, hey, can you uh, can I just recorded my episode? Uh, um, can you give me a copy? I'm like, yeah, you have a USB drive. Or I can Dropbox it to you. They're like, hey, can you can I have a CD? Can I get a CD copy? I was like, oh, man, like I hadn't burned a CD in maybe <laughs> 10 years. If, uh, if, if, and that's conservative. So I'm like, oh man. Um, so I was, I dug around, I found an old computer with a CD burner in it. And I was like, hey, if you can find some CDs somewhere and grab them, I'll, I'll definitely burn your episode onto a CD. And, uh, I think she found them in a dusty corner over at Best Buy. I think there was, uh, you know, there was some unknown corner, uh, of, uh, of Best Buy where they had, had, uh, CDRs still laying around and I was able to burn her, uh, her episode on there for you. Um, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was a weird experience. I was like, man, I don't even remember how to do this. So <laughs> it's crazy. I wouldn't say I do it a lot, but it's the skill I haven't given up just yet. Cause there are times it's, it's just the tool for the job. Yeah. I mean, say what you want about streaming and, uh, binge watching and, uh, and all that. And, and, releasing every episode in one day but uh there's something you said about tangibility and physical media as well so that's that's cool yeah it's very cool and what i keep telling people is yeah it's nice that you have your netflix and it's 12 bucks a month or whatever they're charging these days but when that contract changes that show goes away if you really like that show get it on a physical disc somewhere because then it's yours for life yeah, for sure. And a lot of it, surprisingly, a lot of stuff is not available on streaming um, mm -hmm. or any streaming format or any on-demand format. The only way you can get it is to find a DVD of it, uh, either at mm -hmm. Walmart or in a bargain bin or on eBay. But uh, yeah, even uh, even even uh, Dogma, Kevin's movie Dogma, mm -hmm. went out of print on DVD for a while and was not streaming anywhere. And as such, that those DVD copies kind of shot up in value for a little bit until they re-released it. Um, but yeah, there were there are things. Uh, uh, the Christian Slater movie "Pump Up the Volume," which inspired uh, podcasting for me, is not available streaming anywhere. I don't think I've ever seen it streamed anywhere. And uh, I had to go out and get a DVD copy of it, which uh, you know. And I had a. It was fun though. You know, we're collectors, so it was, we had to go hunt it. I had to hunt it down. I'm like, all right, mm -hmm. do I get it? On, do I get it on eBay or should I go to store to store and maybe try to, you know, um, try to hunt for it, just see if I can find it in the wild? Like it became a game almost. It was pretty cool. And it's it's interesting that we're talking about because we do we go on hunts and especially at conventions and stuff, you'll find all sorts of oddball items. <laughs> you started off talking about protecting the DVD of the original comic book men pilot <laughs> and you know as well as I do, there's always that table off in the corner of the convention with stuff that's been bootlegged oh, yeah. and back. And did you feel like there was a conflict there? I was like, man, I've become the enemy almost. <laughs> I interesting that you bring that up. So I, you know, going to cons, I I was always a fan of the bootleg tables. So mm -hmm. where else were you going to get your copy of the Star Wars Holiday Special, mm -hmm. the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie? the unseen unaired justice league pilot for cbs uh for all, the longest time the 66 batman series was mm -hmm. not available anywhere um there was a whole rights issue between the three companies that owned the batman tv series uh, uh gee, i mean literally up until gee, maybe eight ten years ago maybe not even that long you could not get that anywhere except 
on a bootleg table at a comic con. So there, uh, you know, uh, Thund- you know, for a while, Thundercats wasn't available on DVD. There was so much of our childhood that was not available in any media unless you taped it off TV. Mm-hmm. Luckily, a lot of, some people did. They converted it to digital format, burned it on DVD, and they would sell it uh, at these bootleg tables at, at the Comic-Cons. And th- those were one of the first tables I would go to first, for sure, to see mm-hmm. if they had something that I didn't have in my collection. And um, especially and if you were a geek, a comic book geek, those tables were like they had so many treasures uh mm-hmm. old 60s uh marvel uh marvel kind of uh motion animation cartoons mm-hmm. uh was were on there uh the old spider-man cartoons were at the bootleg tables those the uh you know the 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 um, the amount of happiness and wonder as you would go to the bootleg table was awesome now these were bootlegs so they were not endorsed by any studio these were all homemade and at any point, that table could have gotten shut down. Although mm-hmm. back in the day, uh, they, nobody really cared. Uh, the mm-hmm. bootleg table was a staple of Comic Cons up until very recently. Uh, they started cracking down on them at conventions. Um, the 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 <laughs> the rifle owners have had hired lawyers and kind of rained down the thunder on the people who threw the Comic Cons, going, "If you have booths selling copyrighted material." Uh, we we will shut you down. We will shut them down. Uh, we'll shut down your family. Like they, you know, they 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 rain fire on these guys. So yeah. you don't see them so much anymore. Although every so often you will you you will catch one. But uh, but for a, I remember though one day I was at the store and uh, Walt Flanagan uh, was like, hey, I have a VHS copy of the six, six million dollar man episodes where he fights Bigfoot. Um, do you think you could convert those to DVD and and uh, and, and and make me a copy? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I bet I could do that. So uh, I ended up, you know, I went from VHS to digital, burned down to a DVD, and they had the DVDs and they were silver and they were kind of plain looking. And I was like, hey, what if I made up some artwork for this? I'll do like some bo- some DVD slipcase art. Uh, I'll make a sticker for the DVD. I'll make it look like it's real. Uh, so I did that and I gave it to him, and he was so blown away that he was like, hey do you think you can make more of these? I'm like, why? He's like, I think there'd be other people interested in this. I think yeah, um, maybe I'll, I'll throw one up on the shelf here at the store and, and, and sell it. And uh, if somebody wants it, you know, I'll give you a cut. I'm like, all right, yeah, sure. I, I have all the files already. I had a whole cake box full of writable DVDs. I was, I was like, all right. So I made some and they flew off the shelves. So, mm-hmm. we, um, so, you know, once that happened, uh, of of course, you know, in the in a criminal organization, what do you do when you find something that works? You you, you make more of it and then you expand. So uh, I was like, well, wait, if this works, uh, maybe I'll copy my uh, I'll make copies of the ones I talked about. The Star Wars Holiday Special, Batman 66, uh, the Green Hornet TV show has never been put on on DVD. Let's do that. And uh, so all the all those DVDs I bought off the bootleg table, all of a sudden I was the bootleg table. Although virtually, I never set up a table. But I started selling them online, and um, uh, we were doing fairly well for a while until we started getting uh, slowly getting shut down. First, there was eBay that came down on us. Uh, I think we had one account that got banned for life. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, finally we got together. We were like, you know what? This store is owned by Kevin Smith, who is a filmmaker. We probably shouldn't be selling bootlegs at his store because it would reflect badly on him. So we shut down that operation after a while. But for a little bit, I knew what it felt like to be that bootleg table. 
And um, to me, I was like, you know what? These aren't available in any other format. Um, if they, I tried to justify it by going, you know what? If the company that owned the rights to these wanted to make money, they could easily make their own official versions. Mm-hmm. They haven't, so I'm going to do it, and I'm going to provide a public service to all the geeks out there and you know, make a couple bucks for myself. And that's mm-hmm. how I justified it. But that's that's also how criminals and drug dealers justify their things, I think. So um, you know, you always you always you know, when when you when you're engaged in something and, and uh you know not like uh not not like this is as bad as uh you know organized crime per se, but it is still illegal. So you always try to justify it. It was it was a weird thing to get into for a year or so, but um, you know, as a geek, I understood as well. Yeah, I'm having flashbacks to the story of the stash versus Toys R Us. <laughs> That's a whole other story. Yeah, where uh, Walt, Walt and his crew would buy something, then switch stickers for a cheaper item, and then return it. And you know, the employees there would scan the barcode or whatever, and they wouldn't care, and they would return it. And the store would make a slight profit off of it. That you know, that I guess that constitutes some kind of fraud, but uh, they didn't really see it that way. Yeah, I mean, at some point, I mean, I, I agree with you at least in the scope of things. That I'm a preservationist. I I want to make sure that we have some record of these shows that we've had for years and years. Because if you and I liked them, somebody else down the road is going to like them too. For example, I mean, it, there's never been a good release of Muppet Babies on DVD. Yeah. And I, that's one that I didn't. I wouldn't say I've ever bought anything from the bootlegger, but I'm not going to not say that. <laughs> and if if there's anybody out there who knows a good source for Muppet Babies, I, I, I my email is bossicpodcast.yahoo.com. I you may be hearing from us, so uh, okay. I, not, not saying that I have one, but uh, hey, man, I would yeah, I would be there on Saturday, every Saturday morning as uh, as as a. As C- I believe CBS would play Muppet Babies, so mm-hmm. I I hear you completely, my friend. And and it was so popular, they actually had two episodes back to back for a number of years. That show ran for like an ungodly amount of time by Saturday morning cartoon standards. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, I tried to justify it. I was like, you know why this isn't on a DVD? There's probably some kind of rights issue, and the lawyers have got involved, and they're not, you know, one, you know, it's money holding this up, and uh, and that stinks. And uh, I'm not going to let lawyers rule my life or mm-hmm. the fans. So, you know, if I can make another fan happy by replicating this and then and selling it to them. Uh, yeah, that's how I justified it. So <laughs> it is. Unfortunately, it's very much a rights issue. There, there was some sort of software. There, there was a, an asset package in the 80s where basically it was like a subscription service for those little movie clips they had. Basically, as long as you paid a certain amount of money to the studio, you could use those clips as much as you wanted. But when that contract expired, suddenly those things were locked away. So those 30 seconds of footage hold the entire episode hostage. Yeah. And they were pretty important to the episode as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Although, uh, you know, one of my favorite shows, uh, The Wonder Years, got around that. Uh, They replaced all the music, if you can believe it. And uh, the music was so integral to pretty much every episode. Um, but that's how they got around it. They replaced the music uh, with uh, with with kind of filler music or whatever they had the rights to. And uh, there are workarounds, but of course we want us us fans. We mm-hmm. want the original. We we need the original. Han Han shot first. You know, uh, th- this is how it started. That's how it was meant to be. And uh, we don't like any kind of ch- change after the fact for sure. So, yeah. um, 
Yeah. So uh, you're right. If we can preserve that, uh, yeah, the better. So, um, yeah, even the original uh, aired versions of the Wonder Years are still out there. They're on bootleg format, uh, all where seven or eight seasons. Uh, but you, they're out there if you want to kind of risk it and get bootleg copies are definitely out there. Not advocating it, but I'm just no. saying I understand. Yes, exactly. Speaking of understand, you have a lot going on today, and I don't want to keep you too, too long. But before I let you go, where can people follow your adventures on the Internet? Oh, I am not hard to find. So you can follow me personally. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I just started a TikTok account, all that. Uh, it is at MingChen37, M-I-N-G-C-H-E-N 37. And our podcast studio, if you uh, if you like what you heard between me and Aaron, uh, some very riveting conversation about pop culture and bootleg DVDs, and maybe you want to start your own podcast, uh, find us at ashareduniverse.com. If you're in New Jersey, you can come down and podcast at our studios. If you're not anywhere in New Jersey, we can hook you up as well. We can connect you and your co-hosts and your guests virtually, and you can be on your way to podcast superstardom. And uh, and I mean, you hear you hear the fun in our voices. That's the kind of fun I want to spread to everybody else. That's why we started a studio. That's why we love podcasting. That's why we want to teach the world to podcast. And uh, we would love to show you how to do it just so you can get up and running and also start your own podcast about bootleg DVDs and cartoons you used to watch that aren't available on any other format or anything else you want to encourage or make fun of or whatever us geeks do. Uh, you can do it too. So uh, ashareduniverse.com. Strongly recommend it. And thank you so much, Ming. I will have all that in the show notes on my website if anybody missed any of it. So thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. I would like to thank Ming Chen for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. I have a community-building tip today. And I'd like to remind you that my community building tips are things we do to promote the show that cost you nothing and take less than five minutes. My suggestion would be to raise awareness of the show. It might sound like a little thing, but if you're if you are subscribed on our iTunes feed or our Google Play feed or any sort of podcast reader, download as many episodes as you can, even if you're not planning on listening to them right away. The sooner you download them, the sooner the numbers show up on my end, and the sooner that helps generate publicity and revenue. And if you happen to download them more than one time, that's not a bad thing at all. Most of my episodes are fairly small. They don't take up a lot of space on your phone. If you can download them, please do. And if not, just tell a friend. You can always email me at bossigpodcast.yahoo.com and reach out to my website, AaronBossig.com. You can find this show on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or YouTube, and it is syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.